in the US, in Latin America, and, and frankly, in most markets around the world, uh, you are seeing the evolution of fintech, which is B2B services. So I think there's technologies that are out there that you know are not massively adopted for multiple reasons. And then it's gonna be business models and, and just behavioral changes that are gonna drive its adoption. Hello and welcome to VNext Remix by Veritrain. This is the podcast about how digital technologies are overturning traditional financial services as we know them. In each episode, we speak to leaders at the front lines of digital transformation about the future of finance. I'm your host, Katie Janos-Small, CEO and founder of Upana. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Miguel Armasa to the show. Miguel is co-founder of Gilgamesh Ventures. That's a seed stage fintech investor. He's also the host of the Fintech Leaders podcast, where he speaks to a range of really interesting fintech leaders from around the world. Miguel, welcome to VNext Remix. Thank you so much for the invitation, Katie. Good to see you. Likewise. Miguel, tell us briefly about Gilgamesh. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, straight out of college, I joined the, the ranks of Wall Street. So I was in, in two different banks. I had the opportunity to rotate across many different departments, including some, some business units that not a lot of people see, and that included operations and technology. And that's where I started to really see, you know, how the existing financial industry, the, the incumbents really work. And I was surprised that a lot of the technology was from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And this is not an exaggeration, and it's still going on today. And add to that the fact that my department was moving a trillion dollars a day in flow. You know, it was it was mind-blowing. And so I started to pay attention to what was going on in the industry, who was modernizing uh, the industry, if anyone. And, and at that point, it was Lending Club, it was... SoFi and a few other fintechs that today I, I see them as the OGs. And it just, you know, it made sense. And at the same time, I started to see a few of my friends who were getting into the game, right? They were starting companies themselves, they were joining fintechs. And so, with the first savings I had, I was very lucky to be able to start angel investing, tiny checks. But still, they got me in the door, and that kind of snowballed into a, a small portfolio, a small angel portfolio that I would co-invest along with two or three other friends. And then I would go to a dinner, go to a bar with friends. I would talk about it, and I would see the half of the people there, half of my friends, their faces will light up when I would tell them about it. So I was like, oh looks like I'm not the only one interested in this. So, you know, in the next chance I had, I we, we created a special purpose vehicle, which was to invest in a single company to raise a little bit of money from, from friends and people around me. And we, we ended up raising 3x what we thought we could. Uh, and so that to me was proof that there was appetite in the market. Um, and the next natural step after that was to 
raise a fund to start investing uh, with uh, you know uh, a more interesting frequency and, and be able to professionalize the operation. At the same time, I started uh, you know just like you, Katie. I became a podcaster, and for now I, I host the fintech leaders podcast. But I started with the Wharton fintech podcast. And it was life-changing because I got to talk to some of the most interesting people out there in, in, in fintech uh, and finance in general. And it just coupled with launching a fund, launching Gilgamesh, it just became this amazing flywheel that I would interview someone and then they would ask me what I was up to and then they would join me as investors and then someone in the audience would listen reach out to me and then turns out they were an entrepreneur and so we would invest in their company so you know now the result is you know we we have a 10 million dollar fund uh we invest in fintech in the americas um and for us we define that as you know any company that is modernizing uh financial technology Right, and so we we take a, a broad definition of fintech, uh, but not too broad. Um, and about a third of the portfolio is in Brazil, a third in Spanish-speaking Latin America, and a third in the U.S. And it's uh, it's extremely exciting. You know, we we've backed uh, over seventeen companies at this point, and you know I'm, I'm excited to to keep being sort of a bridge in between uh, the U.S. And, and Latin America, both for investors and entrepreneurs. Super interesting way history there, Miguel. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm interested in just picking up on what you said, that your initial interest in fintech came from seeing the technology at the investment banks um, and how outdated it was, which is which is quite fascinating. And yet the, the OGs, as you say, in fintech were the lending clubs with these retail-facing um, fintechs do you still and, and and I think that there's a lot of attention on those retail facing fintechs right the the consumer facing lenders the consumer facing um, savings products wallets etc how do you see the evolution of more maybe the more institutional technology yeah you, you're you're spot on Katie because initially that's where most of the innovation was happening right and consumer facing uh, services. Uh, and that included banking, that included payments and, and investing. But in the US, in Latin America, and, and frankly, in most markets around the world, uh, you're seeing the evolution of fintech, which is B2B services. And, and within that, uh, we're seeing that you, you can split it in multiple verticals. But what we're seeing is you have Companies that are modernizing uh, financial infrastructure, right? And in some cases, that means modernizing. In other cases, that means building from scratch. And, you know, I'm talking about card issuing services, um, you know, going back to payments. Uh, and sometimes this is infrastructure that allows you to, to offer services that you couldn't before. Right. Then there's uh, businesses and this is related to infrastructure, but these are API driven businesses. And think of Plaid, of course, here in the U.S. Um, and think of Pinwheel 
Um, but but you're seeing that kind of service also pop up in in places like Latin America, like um, Southeast Asia, and and elsewhere. Um, so I think that it's early days for API driven businesses, in particular in emerging markets. Um, we have two in the portfolio. Um, there are there are, you know in this category uh, it's Reworth and Palenka, both based out of Mexico, but you know starting to serve the region. Um, and then there's services to SMBs, right? So it's more like smaller size corporate banking, uh, if that makes any sense. And and I saw this firsthand when I was a, a banker because. We at one point I was covering Latin America and we would try to bank the blue chips of each country, the blue chips in Brazil, the blue chips in in Mexico and Colombia. And these companies will be completely overbanked, right? So very well served. Every bank wanted to talk to them. So we had very thin margins and competitive, um, uh, just a competitive environment. But you would go to companies that were slightly smaller. And, you know, I'm not talking about uh, your corner shop. I'm, I'm talking about a, a company that is uh, making, you know, generating 100 to $200 million a year, right? Or, or, or maybe a bit smaller, but still pretty meaningful companies. And they will be uh, poorly served, right? And, and whenever they would find a financial institution, their margins will be just outrageous. So we're seeing a ton of innovation there. Um, so, and that's not just lending, it's various services, um, financial services for SMBs, right? Uh, again, I think that's still early days, in particular uh, in emerging markets. Um, and, and obviously then you have innovations in prop tech and insure tech, and there you, you kind of also start with the consumer, but we're starting to see different models that maybe take a route through uh, businesses and not going straight to the consumer. Mm. Yeah, it's a massive opportunity there in those medium-sized businesses, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if we think about the mega trends or the big trends for the next next few years, let's say the next five years, um, I think that we've seen huge evolution, right? In the way that we pay, the way that we borrow, the way that we save. What's what's coming next? What what does your crystal ball say about the next the next five years in terms of how this affects the end user, how this affects the um the average user of, of financial services? Yeah. What one trend that has been around for a while, but you're seeing that it's picking up steam now is embedded uh, fintech, embedded financial services. Um, and, and there's examples of, of companies that have done really well um, this type of service. So what, what that means is you embed your offering and your technology in a different platform, in, in, in a platform that's not yours, right? So think of um, buying on Amazon. And when you're about to push uh, the buy button, you get at that moment, at the moment of decision, you get an option to finance that purchase, be it through Amazon or through, or through some other provider like Affirm or Klarna. Uh, so th that is, I guess, a really basic case of embedded fintech. 
But, you know, that's just the beginning. Now you're seeing, uh, going back to B2B services or SMB services, uh, you're, you're seeing more and more innovation uh, around that. And, and the I guess the beauty of that is that if you're using a platform consistently, they're going to have data on you and they're going to have data on your business, on your activity. So by being able to offer some sort of financial solution at the time of decision making, it's almost a, it's almost a personalized solution, right? On a mass scale. So there's a, there's a lot of hype right now amongst the VC community and fintech community uh, for embedded fintech, but I think it's, it's well-deserved, right? Um, there, there's examples of companies that have been very successful doing this. Then we haven't touched on on crypto, and and you know we, Gilgamesh, we're not a crypto focused fund, uh, solely crypto focused fund, but we do have a couple of uh, crypto investments, and you know we we're bullish on the industry, um, and I think for example, we we're gonna start seeing more uh, more of a crossover between crypto and traditional finance or just traditional services in, in the real world. Uh, I just saw yesterday, I believe it was, uh, Mike Cagney, uh, who's the CEO of Figure and previously co-founded SoFi. Figure just started offering mortgages uh, using your crypto portfolio as collateral, right? And, and you know, for the longest time, you know, if you had crypto, you could only get what your Bitcoin, uh, not not Bitcoin. Surely, it's so volatile. Exactly. Well, we'll see. I don't know how they're, they're going to structure it. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure they're they're going to be careful structuring it. But you know, this is this is a great innovation, and so there's going to be more of that, more uh, solutions that are kind of merging both worlds. And you know, to me, that's that's super exciting. That is really interesting. And I think that crypto is is also such a huge area, right? There's a lot of different um, there are a lot of different financial services that come under that bigger umbrella of crypto, right? You've got like the central bank digital currencies, you've got the free floats like Bitcoin, you've got the stable coins, which maybe could go somewhere in the middle. Do you have a bit of a thesis there in terms of what the winners are going to be in, in crypto? Who knows? Honestly, I uh, I wish I knew who knows, but but certainly a lot of promise around uh, moving money globally. Uh, so right now, we've seen a lot of innovation for a long time in remittances for, for consumers, right? And, and obviously, Western Union has been the dominant player for a long time. Then you had uh, Wise, you have Remitly, and, and a few other players that came in. Um, and, 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 and it's been mostly focused on the consumer. Uh, I think uh, a huge promise on, on the crypto space could be on more on the uh, corporate front because sending money around the world, if you are a business, it's, it's crazy expensive and no one's been really able to solve this. Maybe you can get a good deal if both of you, both you and your your client have the same bank, right? And maybe both of you are using JP Morgan. One is JP Morgan UK, the other one's JP Morgan US. You know, that's a case. But 
But other than that, it's still very, very expensive. So that is an area where I think crypto could, could really revolutionize it and, and bring those costs down. And same goes at the consumer level. I mean, I think one of the reasons why Coinbase is entering Brazil, for example, and I'm sure they're, you know, they're also going to make strong inroads in, in Mexico if they're not there already, um, is not just getting consumers in, in Brazil to, to start investing through Coinbase, but I, I, it's also, you know, you have the case study that they can transfer from uh, Coinbase account to Coinbase account. Uh, so it can actually take a huge chunk of remittances. And I know there's a few companies working on this. For example, uh, shout out to my friends, Felix uh, Finance. They're, they're working on fixing uh, remittances in between U.S. And, and Mexico, the U.S.-Mexico corridor. So if, if there's one application that I'm very bullish on for crypto is moving money around the world. Certainly something that's got to get easier, right? Moving money around the world, definitely. Um, here's more of a philosophical question for you. Do you think that the competition in financial services is going to be driven more by technological changes or business model changes in the years ahead? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I think it's going to be the, the technologies are probably already there, right? But and and probably and you saw this two years ago, right? Zoom was already there, but not a lot of people were using it. But there was a behavioral shift that forced everyone to start using it. So I think it's it's gonna be a bit of both. So I think there's technologies that are out there that you know are not massively adopted for multiple reasons, and then it's gonna be business models and and just behavioral changes that are going to drive uh, its adoption. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a bit of both. I think one is going to feed the other. Uh, and, and usually technology moves faster, right? So the technological changes are, are, are probably already there or are going to arrive much sooner than, you know, the actual business model. But once, once the model changes, then people are going to adapt the technology. Perfect. Um, Miguel, should we move on to our quick fire round of, of five uh, short questions, quick questions, quick answers. Let's do it. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Which book are you reading right now? Uh, actually, I just started reading this week. It's called The Founders and it's the story of PayPal. So any fintech nerd is going to enjoy it. Uh, it was written by Jimmy Sonny. Absolutely loving it. It's it's a pretty big book. I started reading it four days ago, and I'm more than halfway through. It's it's fascinating. Wow, sounds interesting. It sounds like it must be a bit of a page turner as well. Um, Miguel, what's the best piece of professional advice that you've been given? You know, I, I always say that my mentors come by way of of my podcast guests. <laughs> I learn a lot from from all of the guests that I have and. One theme that I've seen being repeated often and uh, that I love is just double down on your strengths and hire for your weaknesses. And I, I, I love that. Love it. What is the app that you use most? So I'll, I'll give you two. So 
LinkedIn for sure. I am there very often and it's it's a strong tool for me. Uh, but then I, I use Calm every night uh, and it helps, uh, helps me get, go to sleep. I'll have to check it out. That sounds cool. When will we stop using cash? I don't see it within our generation. Uh, maybe it depends on the country. Some countries have actually what's called the war on cash and they've instituted measures, you know, I think the, the Scandinavian uh, countries have instituted laws to actually get rid of cash. And maybe within those, we'll see it within, within the next, uh, you know, few decades. But I don't see cash fully disappearing from most of the world um, within the next 50 years. And I might be proven completely wrong, but, you know, it, it's percentage usage percentage is, is going to Go down for sure. For sure. I'm, I'm not arguing that. That's my whole industry. But getting rid of it completely, it, that's going to take some time. Finally, who else would you recommend that we invite onto the show? You should invite Laura Speakerman. She's the co-founder of Alloy. She's awesome, uh, and you know she's a, a great fintech leader. And Alloy is killing it. And, and what I like the most is they are inspiring entrepreneurs from around the world to solve for for the same issues. Awesome, we'll see if we can make that happen. Thank you. Um, Miguel, thank you so much for joining us today, joining me today on, on this show. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Katie, my pleasure. And thank you for tuning in for this new series of Next Remix. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and turn on notifications to be the first to hear the next episode. We'll be back soon with more VNext Remix Insights.